to it. For those of you who um, have been with us for a while, um, actually over the past uh, four weeks, you know that we are in what is called the season of Lent, which is basically a 40-day uh, season that leads us to, um, to Easter. Um, the season of Lent is marked by fasting, by scripture reading, by self-examination, by lots of confession and penitence. It is a somber season for us to recognize that when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, it wasn't simply to make us nice people, but that Jesus was raised from the dead to change our whole stories. And so Lent basically gives us an opportunity to really get honest with ourselves about what might be off, not only in ourselves, but what might be off in the world, that we offer that up to Christ's resurrection power. And so here at our Southeast Raleigh table, we believe it's incredibly important for us um, to lean into the seasons of the Christian church. And so for the past uh, couple of weeks, we have been living in into Lent. Uh, we have been giving up things. We have been praying together. We've been confessing together. Uh, we have been in a posture of knowing that uh, we are not perfect, that God is perfect, but that God wants to do something beautiful in our lives as we move and turn ourselves toward the direction of the Easter cross. We have been anchoring ourselves in the Psalms, uh, which is the songbook of Scripture, because the songbook of Scripture really does kind of lean into the full range of human emotion. And we've also been leaning into passages of Scripture that, um, that Jesus is taking his journey to the cross, and we're also taking uh, the journey with Jesus. And this morning, uh, instead of using a psalm to anchor ourselves in scripture, we're going instead to use one of the stories. Actually, it's a, uh, an encounter that Jesus has with Mary and Martha and Lazarus right before uh, Jesus, actually, um, Jesus actually washes his own disciples' feet. And you'll understand why this story is so poignant uh, when uh, we recognize that Jesus is going to offer up such a beautiful gift to his friends by putting a towel around his waist and stooping down and washing the disciples' feet. And so I'm going to read um, this story for us, which comes from uh, the 12th chapter of John's Gospel, and uh, beginning with the first verse. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, you're more than welcome to, to bring it out. Um, it will be a familiar story to many of us, um, but it may not be a familiar story to you, yet it is a beautiful story. I will stop at certain points in time to kind of share some of the historical background of this passage because I'm not going to necessarily uh, focus uh, on that in uh, my sermon this morning, but I don't want you uh, to think that I'm like, glossing over some parts of this scripture that I think are uh, pretty important uh, to us. So here now these words in the 12th chapter of, of John's gospel, beginning with the first verse. says this, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. And Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? Now he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. And Jesus said, leave her alone, about speaking about Mary. 
She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. Now, you'll need to know that this costly nard, um, this oil kind of perfume, would have been used to actually anoint a, a body uh, that they were preparing for burial. Or you'll remember that when, um, when we read oftentimes at Easter that the women were going to the tomb because they wanted to, uh, they wanted to get close to God, they wanted to, to prepare Jesus' body before the, before the Sabbath. Um, this was a, a, a particular custom within this, uh, this time frame. And then Jesus says this, you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Now, one other thing about that particular passage, um, verse 8, you, uh, you will not always have me, but you'll always have the poor with you. That passage of scripture is sometimes really perversely used. Uh, and it is used to make, uh, to make us feel like we can be complacent about, uh, about poverty. That is not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying, listen, just go ahead and settle on the fact that there are those who are impoverished in our midst. Instead, Jesus is actually quoting a passage of scripture from Deuteronomy that talks about the poor who are among the Israelites' midst and how it is that they are to take care of the poor. And when Jesus says, you will not always have me, Jesus, remember, is not just one who goes to those on the margins. Jesus is also one who is on the margins. So when Jesus talks about the poor will always be among you, Jesus is also talking about himself. Not, it's what he says, you know, you will not always have me. Like, specifically, you will not have me. But I am one who has actually been with those on the margins, and I am also on the margins. And so uh, Jesus is actually making a beautiful statement about those who are impoverished, who are among us, not that we are ever complacent about the systems that keep people impoverished, but that our generosity and extravagance should point in that particular direction, which again, you will understand once we uh, take some time to talk about Mary in this story. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So interestingly enough, I did not really know uh, much about the Lenten discipline until I got to college. Now, I knew that people... Um, leaned into Lent when I was, you know, in elementary school and when I was in middle school and high school, but it wasn't into college that I actually realized that people give up something during the, the Lenten season, that that was a common practice. And at my, at my college, Lent actually was a really big thing. And people tended to fall into two different camps uh, in regards to taking on Lenten disciplines. You had individuals who had grown up always giving something up for Lent or observing particular practices in Lent. This was just kind of a part of their, of their natural rhythm as people of faith. Then you had this other very large camp of individuals at Wofford College who gave something up for Lent because, um, to be perfectly honest, they wanted to lose a little bit of weight before spring break. Like, I, I, am not, I am not joking. It's like uh, people somehow decided that cereal was not the thing to eat anymore for breakfast um, because not they wanted to be high and holy, but because they really literally wanted to have a summer body for spring break. But they called it a Lenten discipline. This is the thing about uh, that large majority of individuals who gave up things for Lent because they wanted to get ready for spring break is that it begins to create um, a, um, a feeling of suspicion Whenever people talk about giving something up for Lent, like how do you know that the reason why this person is giving this thing up for Lent is actually anchored in a level of sacrifice or, or, or wanting to know what it is to abstain from certain things so that you might be filled with the things of God? 
or to give up certain things as a sign that you want to actually honor Christ by the small thing that you are offering up because of the great sacrifice that Christ is going to make for us in his death and then also the great gift that Christ offers to us in his resurrection. There are times when it is really difficult for us to trust that people are doing all of this giving away and ceasing and stopping because of, um, of pure intentions. And yet there are times when our desire to give everything away, when our desire to stop or to cease, when our desire to sacrifice something for the sake of Christ is pure and authentic and it is rooted in something beautiful. And here in this particular passage of scripture, Mary, who is actually called the ideal disciple, this exemplar of, of sacrificial giving, of pouring out a good gift to Jesus in this moment when Jesus comes over to her house to have a meal, gives everything away in such extravagance that Judas, who is one of the disciples of Jesus, begins to question her motives. Now, this is the, the really the real thing about the, the whole situation with Judas is that Judas is actually um, throwing shade at Mary. He um, obviously sees something in the ways in which Mary is offering up something to Jesus because Judas doesn't want to offer up that same thing to, to, to Jesus. But this moment where it says that a, a whole like year's worth of wages of a gift, Jesus begins to pour out upon Jesus' feet and she begins to wipe them with her hair. If Judas spoke up in that moment, you can kind of understand why people would, would, understand, would kind of like uh, understand why Judas might bring up these particular questions. Why would you use all of this money in this moment when there's so many people who are hungry? Why would you use such a costly gift when there are people who are suffering? Why would you pour out this gift upon Jesus' feet when you might be able to put it into um, the pocketbook that is to help those that the disciples have served. All of these questions would have been very rational in this moment. But Mary does something beautiful by spending all of her resources to anoint Jesus' feet. And I think it comes down to this, is that Mary really knows who Jesus is. Even though it seems so crazy that she would be um, so extravagant with offering up this gift over Jesus, Mary really knows who Jesus is. That Jesus is not some knockoff, wannabe Messiah. She knows who Jesus is. But the way in which Judas is asking the question, it, it would bring up this kind of like suspicion or doubt, like, really, Mary, why would you do all of this for Jesus in this particular moment? Now, um, I've had a Judas moment like this where I have wondered, why would you do all of this in this particular moment? You might have heard me tell this story before, but I want to share it again. Now, I have, um, in the past, really loved Michael Jackson. I've got some, some things are kind of shifting in my heart right now. But in the past, I need to just be honest, I, I used to just absolutely love Michael Jackson. And there is a tribute band called Who's Bad who comes into town typically about two times a year. Um, and I love to absolutely to watch them because um, they really do Michael Jackson well. 
Now, there was one um, uh, particular time that I went to go see Who's Bad, and every time Who's Bad plays, they sing the song, The Way You Make Me Feel. And whenever they sing the song, The Way You Make Me Feel, they invite uh, mostly women from the crowd to come up and stand on the stage um, and to dance around the fake Michael Jackson. Now, my friends were egging me on, Lisa, you need to go up there, Lisa, you need to go up there, Lisa, you need to go up there, Lisa, you need to go up there. And I was like, I am not going up there. Why? Because I've been to other Who's Bad um, concerts. And there is something in particular about Who's Bad concerts that keep me from getting on that stage with those other women with the fake Michael Jackson. And I'll tell you why. Because all these women on the stage, the way you make me feel, and fake Michael Jackson is, you know, doing the, all the stuff like in the, in the video. And I have literally seen some women screaming and crying and like, be, I mean, losing their minds, friends. I mean, thinking that they are living their best life when there's not one video camera in sight. And you know why I won't go, go up on that stage? And I won't dance around, and I won't cry, because it's not really Michael Jackson. <laughs> there was a point that I would go to Who's Bad concerts, and I would watch people totally throw themselves all over the place, and I wanted to say to them, you do know this is a fake Michael Jackson. <laughs> that jury curl is not real. Those are not the real gloves that Michael Jackson wore or the real penny loafers that Michael Jackson wore. And more importantly, that person who is singing, holding the microphone, saying, the way you make me feel is not the real Michael Jackson. And Judas, in this moment when he asked these questions, and he throws shade at Mary, is making it seem that Jesus is not the real Messiah. But this is the thing. Mary knows. This is not the fake one. This is not just a prophet. This is not one who was just born in Nazareth, born to two parents. But this is the one who is coming into the world to save it. Mary was convinced she was in the presence of the one. So whereas Judas would steal from the common purse, Mary would give everything away to the Messiah who was in her midst. So she wasn't going to count the cost or crunch the numbers or do a risk assessment. She wasn't going to go the rational route and try to parse out the oil. Instead, she was going to do the thing that belies she was responding to the ways in which she knew that Jesus was not only going to come into the world to save her, but Jesus was coming into the world to save the world. That she saw this man and she believed that he was worth it. She saw and she experienced Jesus and she knew that he was worth it. Because friends, remember that as she is sitting at the table with Jesus, she's also sitting with her brother that Jesus raised from the dead. She knew Jesus was worth it. 
She had known that Jesus had turned water into wine, and when he turned water into wine, he made the best wine at the end. She knew that he was worth it. That when he had an opportunity to heal ten lepers, he didn't choose just to heal five of them or seven of them or nine of them, but he healed all ten of them. She knew that he was worth it. That when he sat down at a well with this woman in John chapter 4, that he didn't just offer her water from a well. He said, I'm going to offer you water from a well that will never run dry. Mary knew that he was worth it. That when he came to these disciples who were grumbling because their stomachs were hungry, and Jesus says, I am the living bread. If you feast on me, you will never hunger again. Mary knew that he was worth it. And then when Jesus says, I am resurrection, and I am life, and Mary is looking at her brother Lazarus, who has now been called up back from death into life. Mary was convinced that Jesus was worth it. Because he wasn't a knockoff, not just a prophet, not simply the son of Mary and Joseph, but he was the one who had come into the world to save her and to save the world. Sometimes what we're willing to give up, what we're willing to sacrifice, what we're willing to offer says a lot about the one to whom we offer the gift. I say this because maybe you call to question the Lenten discipline that you might have taken up. Maybe along the way some folks have like been kind of joking or laughing at you because there is something that you've kind of given up. But this is the thing, they may not know how it is that you know that Jesus is worth it to put the television away or to spend an extra 15 minutes in prayer. They may not know how Jesus is worth it for you to now develop a, a, a series of actually reading scripture for 40 days. They may not know how Jesus is worth it to you. It's okay. If the world thinks that you're a little bit crazy because you're going to be extravagant in the ways in which you offer up a gift to Jesus. Because maybe you and you alone know how it is that Jesus has offered to you a great gift and you know that Jesus is worth it. Last week um, was a difficult week for some people in our community. That when they walked into this place, they were literally living on the brink of death living on the brink of sadness, living on the brink of loss, living on the brink of watching another dream die. And you might have wondered why they were screaming on the top of their lungs or why they were crying. Or you might have not noticed that they were lifting up their hands when they really could have had their head bowed low how they were singing about the goodness of God when it seems like everything in their lives is pointing to another direction. Sometimes we do not know the level of sacrifice that comes with our offering to Jesus. So maybe you're questioning yourself. But deep down inside you know that Jesus is worth it. Maybe sometimes you question others. 
Maybe you simply have to know their story to understand how they have experienced Jesus to be worth it. Offer it all to Jesus who will offer everything to us because Jesus is worth it. Will you pray with me? God, we, we thank you, Lord, that whether we give you little or we give you much, you see in our gift the measure of sacrifice. Thank you, God, that you have been so generous to us that we want to offer up a sacrifice. Lord, help us in those moments when we would rather count the cost to offer it all to you. Gracious God, give us courage when we want to wrap our minds around how we should offer you the gift, that it has to make sense to us that, Lord, we might show you reckless love in the ways in which we offer ourselves to you. That we might trust that you never give us bad gifts in return. That your reciprocity is always greater. That what you pour into our lives is always more powerful. And that the gifts that you offer to us are always more generous. But that doesn't mean that we cannot come to you with open hands. It doesn't mean that we can't come to you with our open hearts and our open lives and with our gifts of sacrifice. God, for the ways in which we've experienced you, to be so loving and so kind, to be so merciful, you who are a God, who offers up to us not just good gifts, but God, you offer up to us the best gift. Why would we not want to offer something great and grand to you? So Lord, we come pouring our gifts out upon your feet. pouring our gifts out into your hands. Pouring our gifts out upon an altar of praise. God, would you receive our gifts? Would you take them and make something beautiful of them? And would you remind us, Lord, in, in your receiving, 
that we have already received, that you have already given to us, and you will continue to give over and over and over again. God, help us to be generous in our gift giving because you have been so generous to us. We ask this, Lord, in the strong name of your son, Jesus. Amen.